Hi, and welcome. This is the test, first test episode for the TapRest podcast. I'm Morgan Phelps. Hi, and I'm Robert Wright Stasco. And we are here to talk about all things touch guitar, uh, be it Chapman Sticks or touch guitar U8, U10s, war guitars, tractor topaz, uh, Mobius Megatar, whatever it is, any tapping instrument, even if on a guitar or a bass, it doesn't matter. If your fingers go to the fretboard, we're here to talk about it. I know. I'm so excited. So, and I think it's fun because in all of uh, my podcasting searches, I've never found one podcast where anybody talks about these instruments. So I think we found a spot that we might want to talk. Yeah, because I'm a recent uh, adheree to the touch guitar phenomenon, and... uh, as I was looking to delve into this world, it was hard for me to break into the community as an outsider. So I'm excited about this because this will allow people who may be like, hey, what is that all about? What's that stick thing that they're playing? It looks like a fence post. Can I play that? <laughs> yes, you can. And uh, I'm hoping that we can uh, give people a doorway into that. I really think we will. And then also, you know, for the, the players that are out there that already do play and are already tapped into the community online, um, you know, just really to help give everybody a more detailed introduction to everybody else around them. Because, I mean, let's face it, there's not a ton of us. And, you know, we can have each other's backs and share and, you know, turn everybody else, turn us on to new stuff, um, you know, play what, you, play what you're, you know, promote what you're promoting, play your music, play other people's music. Yeah. Um, or just indeed engage in conversation about this. Because most of the time, you know, not a lot of people are going to know what the hell you're talking about, <laughs> just to be fair, because it is right. such a, a unique thing. But I'll start by saying, I mean, I know I started out playing the touch guitar. My first instrument was a Chapman stick. Uh, I got it about 1999 um, after playing in a band, and uh, we were called El Camino Piranha. And they started out as a jam band, but it ended up going like Talking Heads and King Crimson and that kind of thing. And they wanted to cover Satori and Tangier. And uh, the guitar player, Mike, was like, hey, you need to you need a stick to play that song. And I'm just like, I've heard of it. I, I don't know what it is. And uh, and I had heard King Crimson Discipline before that. Um, but I just didn't know, you know, I'd never seen it. So he was like, OK, well, here he gave me a video of King Crimson live at Freegis. Yes. And, you know, the first song that came on was The Waiting Man. And, you know, it's just that, you know, electronic drum percussion-y kind of intro. And then in comes Tony out of the out of the shadows, you know, tapping that cool thing. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, what in the fuck is that? <laughs> what is that? Where do I get one? Because I pretty much instantly by the end of that song, I knew like, that, yes, that's what I need to do. Because so, so that was your first introduction to the stick was it came out of necessity. Yeah, well, I mean, it was out of the recommendation of the guitar player. Imagine uh-huh. that a guitar player playing a bass player, he needs to play something with more strings. <laughs> First time in my life that's ever happened, by the way. That's the only time that's ever happened. Most guitar players are like, oh, you four is good. But no. So yeah, uh, he uh, he gave me that video. So Mike Thomas, thank you for turning me on to that. And then, um, you know, like I said, I had heard Discipline uh, in the years prior. Yeah. So it, uh, you know, I knew what it sounded like, but I never knew what it looked like. And as soon as I saw it, it was over. It, it clicked. Yeah. Because from doing four and six and, you know, whatever, how many strings basses I was playing at the time, I had always leaned, you know, towards trying to do more than just, you know, plucking. So was that was that the first 
time you thought about tapping or was no. there something before then that led you to want to uh, tap on on your bass no well yeah i had uh first seen bass players uh like Stu ham in particular yeah i was i discovered Stu ham while reading uh an old bass player magazine yes and, me too <laughs> yeah and i saw and then i also got was a guitar for practicing musician magazine it had the song his uh, track terminal beach transcribed and you know, it was I was able to read tablature at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's when I started reading, and I first looked at that tablature and all the tapping and all the numbers, and I'm like, "What is going on here? I don't understand what's happening." And then I listened to the, you know, I got a hold of the cassette tape, yeah, <laughs> and uh, played it, and I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then I learned that, and that's really what wet my appetite for tapping. I can't even remember what year that was. It was in there early 90s I think or maybe even no not late 80s it was early 90s yeah I was in high school yeah when I was in high school I was playing bass guitar and I had this uh, Fender P bass that was converted to a five string so my first kind of exposure to like tapping on that instrument was Primus and uh, Les Claypool and the stuff and uh, I think you had mentioned uh uh, earlier, uh, Jerry was a race car driver. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. uh, that was one that I learned, and where I first used that technique, and it's uh, such a fun song to play, and uh, yeah, and that, and, and I I never got farther than that, and it was it was until like after high school. This would have been ninety three, ninety four, where that's when the media change started to happen from cassette to CD. And I would go into all the record stores when they still had like record stores, and um, I would go in and I, I I would dig through all the coal to find the diamond that was buried at the bottom of of the the bargain bin, you know, because they're selling these cassettes for a dollar. I picked up the Concise King Crimson, I believe that's what it was oh, called. Oh wow! Okay. And the first side was basically in the court of the crimson king with a few other songs from like the 70s thrown in the second side was all the 80s stuff and that's where i heard uh elephant talk and discipline and um sleepless for the first time and it that was mind-blowing for me because it, it seemed to come from outer space it was like this music it was like whoa what's that and i and i had a great desire to play that instrument because then i found that video uh back in the days before the internet if you wanted to find live material you would go to these uh bootleg fairs in the back mm-hmm. rooms of hotels and stuff oh my goodness yeah yeah and you'd, you'd spend like five or ten bucks on a cassette tape or a vhs and you know i've, I've that's where i found free just and just so no one gets angry, I, I did buy the official <laughs> DVD from DGM Live, the Neil and Jack and Me, which is fabulous, but because uh, it, it's so much clearer and everything. So yes, buy buy your stuff officially for sure. But back in the day when I was just discovering the stuff, I had to find it wherever I could. But yeah, and I, that's where I first saw the stick, and was was that live in Freegis too? And it, it I wanted one, but. Uh, it took me 20 years to get there. <laughs> so, yeah, my uh, I'll I'll talk about my uh, stick inception story and then I'll uh, I'll bounce it back over to you. 
um, I this is this is pretty hilarious because around the same time, like I mentioned earlier, Mike Thomas and of El Camino Piranha um, pointed me in that direction, and then I instantly became obsessed. And you know, since you can't, you know, you can go to stick.com and look at them, but you're not going to walk in a store or anything and find them. Well, I worked in a music store at the time. Yes. Uh, not far from, you know, where I was living in uh, Kenmore, Ohio. It was called the Musician's Bargain Basement. And I worked there for, you know, a, a decade. Um, so I was tapped into gear all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, man, I've got to find something. And this was really before eBay was enorm- was huge. I mean, I think it, it might have been around. Yeah. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a thing. So I was just asking whoever I could. And then... Uh, a buddy of mine, or a, 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 not a buddy, but a, an acquaintance, a store customer came in, and I was just, I had the Freegis video playing at the store, and uh, we just got talking about, you know, I'm like, man, I'm trying to find a stick, and they're like, you know, I think I know somebody that has one that lives here in town. He's a, a blues guitar player. You know him? His name's Mike Lenz. And I'm like, shit, I know Mike. Mike comes in here all the time. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure he has a stick. I don't know if he plays it or not. Um so I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. So I wasted zero time. I instantly looked up, looked him up in the phone book, the phone book, if <laughs> yeah. you can imagine that. <laughs> and I found him, and um, I called him, and I left him a voicemail on his answering machine at the time. And uh, I said, hey, man, this is going to sound really weird. I said, but this is Morgan from the Musician's Bargain Basement. I heard through the grapevine that you might have a Chapman stick. And if you do, I'd really like to check it out because I want to get one and I've never played one. And I said, and if you aren't actively playing it and would like to sell it, I will happily make you an offer on, you know, to buy it from you. So give me a call back. And I don't think he called me back, but he just showed up at the music store with the case in hand. And my heart just jumped out of my chest. I was like, oh, my God. He's I was just so I was beside myself, like my heart stopped. And he was like, hey, dude, I got your call. And then he like put it up on the counter. He's like, yeah, check it out. He's like, I don't play it. He's like, I got it at the musician swap shop in Cleveland, you know, like 10 years ago. I got it just because it was wacky, but I've never used it. So, you know, he's like, I'd be I'd be interested in selling it. So go ahead and check it out. So I, he had it sitting on the counter. I reached over, unlatched the case, flipped it open, just ran my hand along it, along it, you know, tapped a couple of notes, didn't plug it in, just closed it. And I'm like, okay, what do you want for it? <laughs> just, I don't need to, I don't need to plug it in. I'll just, you know, talk to me. What is it? Um, so he's like, ah, I don't know, you know. He's like, I bought it, you know, forever ago, and, you know, I don't even really remember what I got into it. So, I mean, 600 bucks? And I'm like, yes, done, <laughs> done. And, you know, I was I was in college at the time. Yeah. and Or just about to go into college, one of the two. I can't remember. I, I don't remember college, but I remember the stick. So it tells you where <laughs> my brain is. Yeah. Um, so I didn't have the money. I just plain old didn't have it. Um, but I did have a fair amount of other gear that I, you know, had acquired from working in the music shop and stuff. So I had a couple of Ibanez RG guitars, like a Mexican jazz bass, a little Marshall combo amp, a handful of pedals. So I rounded everything up 
and I called um, a friend of mine who now runs a music store on the same street, my friend Ed, who um, has the guitar department on Kenmore Boulevard, which is right down the street from where my store used to be. Um, he's moved in and he's doing great there. Uh, but this was back when he was just doing guitar shows and, and, you know, freelance selling gear. And, uh, I said, dude, you know, cause I had talked to him about finding a stick for me. And, uh, I said, dude, I found a stick. The price is right. I have to get rid of this gear. I have to make this purchase. And he's like, okay, cool. What do you got? And I gave, I mean, I gave him, he got, he got a deal on all that stuff. Um, Granted, thankfully, because I worked in the music store, I was able to get get most of the stuff that I bought cheap, so I didn't really lose my ass. Um, but I unloaded all this stuff and got just enough cash to go buy the stick. So I, you know, got a hold of Mike and I'm like, "All right, dude, I'm coming over." You know, he gave me his number at this point, and so I went over to his house in Cahaga Falls and picked it up. And it was strung all wrong, like it was oh, it was buddy. strung. I think it was all fourths, and the bass strings were all you know in standard base order oh, okay so it yeah. was low to high all the way across which i mean isn't necessarily wrong it's just not the classic tuning yeah. um so i you know i you know got online and looked at sticks website and found the tuning and did a rough approximation of the gauges that i could find at the store because thankfully i had access to lots of guitar strings lurking at a music store so i i strung it up the strings weren't ideal you know they weren't the best I do, you know, from Stick Enterprises or, you know, Labellas or whatever, you know, you like to use. Um, so I strung it up and got it approximately playing. I didn't really get it dialed in for a while, but right off the rip, I had it enough, you know, to be able to play it. And it was tuned in classic tuning. And um, so I'm standing there in my basement with this instrument on. And you know, the room that was previously filled with a whole bunch of gear was now sitting empty <laughs> with nothing but my bass amp, uh, my Spectre five string, which I kept. I didn't get rid of that one. Yeah. And then the stick. And I'm just, I'm wearing this thing and I'm like, what did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what, what have I just committed to here? Um, and that was the only moment of doubt I had, like the only one. After that, it was as soon as I you know, got it under my fingers and just really slowly started to figure it out and just ham fist my way through trying to figure out Tony's, Tony's stick parts on discipline. Um, that was the record I started with because uh -huh. um, it was the only Crimson record I had at that time. So... Um, it was pretty much, you know, Elephant Talk was the first one that, you know, I started to learn because I'm like, okay, I hear that. And if you pay close attention, Elephant Talk uh, very much inspired Jerry with the way Jerry was a race car driver baseline. Speaking of Primus, throw back to that if you paid attention. Oh, they yeah. They're very similar base yes. parts. So, you know, things were clicking. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, okay, I see where that influence came from. But, uh, yeah. So yeah, that that was my my I maiden never, voyage with the stick. Yeah, I never put those two together, but yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, I mean the same tritone tapping on the right mm -hmm. hand, and you know, baseline on the left. So yeah, it's so yeah. Everybody who hasn't compared those songs before, go do that. Right. I don't think they're quite in the same key, but it's the same basic idea. You know? Yeah. Yeah. In in all the talk of the fiftieth uh, anniversary 
of uh, the release of In the Court of the Crimson King. Um, there's a couple really good articles on rollingstone.com, which kind of delve deep into not only how the song was written in the first part of the article, but the second part, its influence, and how songs like Heart of the Sunrise were derived from In the Court of the Crimson King, and how that especially 21st century schizoid man was sort of this bomb that we're still feeling the repercussions of in music today. So mm-hmm. well, it was a game changer. No doubt about yeah. it. I mean, so, but, but discipline I think was just about as big of a bomb, but mm-hmm. especially for me and you, because yes. that, that was like the real game changer for us. It made us think about music like a totally different way. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, if you want me, you want me to talk about yes, how, please. Yeah, tell me, I, tell me about you, how you discovered, t- you know, tapping instruments, and you know, to go ahead and tell. I know the story of of your first <laughs> instrument, but yeah, uh, please, you know, just yeah. tell us about your story. Well, I, you know, I, I started. I like to tell people I was born a bass player, and then I learned how to play guitar. Uh, it was in the mid 90s i started playing like six string acoustic guitar um, mainly so i could lead worship it was a lot easier to do with a six string than it was with a bass guitar i'm not quite as talented as sting where i can (laughs) sing a melody line and play like a contrapuntal bass line underneath it can't i'm not that qualified you know or or like mark king He's, he's really excellent at that um but that's the time where a new style of worship was emerging and the uh where instead of like everything being led by an organist you could have more contemporary music with guitars and bass keyboards and drums even and so that's the time of the so-called worship wars where <laughs> it was the traditional versus the new and and that has died down or Everyone plays like a little bit of everything, and everyone's kind of cool with it now. Uh, but at the time, that was a thing. So, uh, so I was expanding my horizons that way, and you know, by learning a new instrument. But uh, I was a strummer. I wasn't uh, very proficient at the fretboard, working my fingers and stuff. And I wanted, after doing that for like 15 years, I was looking for a challenge. And um, there's other things in my life that led me to question <laughs> where I was musically and I felt I had plateaued and I, I'm like, I need a new challenge. And I'm like, I need to get a stick. It was sort of like my midlife crisis. Like, this is where I need to go. This is the next step. And I was resolute in doing it. And then I started researching the prices and I was like, oh, this isn't possible. Then I, in one of my searches, uh, I saw someone who was selling like homemade touch instruments on eBay for like 800 bucks, which is about half the price of everything that I was seeing. And at least, you know, most of them were like two, $3,000 for a stick or a war guitar. And I was like, that's, I, I can't do that. I'm, you know, I wasn't like where you were when you bought your first one. You could, you, know, you were, I was uh, hardcore committed to, you know, three kids, a wife, <laughs> you know, job, bills, house, all that. So I emailed this guy and it was uh, Kevin Siebold and he has a website, crappyguitars.com. So I started looking there and in talking with him, he's like, well, I have this for sale. 
if you want it. I'm like, well, I was, I, did, I was wondering if they had anything more guitar-like. It was like, well, I could build you one. I was like, really? You could custom build me a guitar for $800? And I was like, okay, sold. It was the same thing. It was, it was right around January. I knew I had my uh, tax refund coming back. So I was like, okay, 400 now. And then I get the 400 when my tax refund comes back. And it would be, it took them two weeks to put this thing together. And it was, I was showing it to people like, uh, like ultrasound pictures, like, okay, here, here it is being glued together. And here, um, you can see he's, uh, cut out the holes for the, for the pickups and the electronics. It was, you know, it was like my new baby was coming, you know, and it arrived. The box arrived the day before my birthday. Oh shit. That's fucking poetic. <laughs> that's poetic. And so, uh, I was tracking the package and it arrived and I told my boss, it's it's at home. I'm leaving work. She's like, okay, okay. That's because she under she was cool. She understood what this meant. So I, I went home. Well, plus she knew that she wasn't going to get any more out of you that day. No, <laughs> no, it wasn't happening. So I arrived home. I unboxed it, and it smelled lemony fresh because he and I still do this. I it's uh, it's unfinished, so I work it with lemon oil. Work and, it. Yeah. Work it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 very satisfying and i i put it and strapped it on and um it was i i had a similar feeling that that you did it wasn't like a doubt or trepidation it was like my life is changing now this is a pivotal moment this is a crossroads and it was i requested this tuning like trey guns or guitar because so oh. ten string crafty, I think is what they call it. Basically, yes. yeah. In, in stick tuning terms, right? It yeah. is tuned all in fifths, bass mm-hmm. side, or and like the, the U, like the U ten, similar. Yeah, very similar, but it's still kind of split in the middle to, between bass and um, and guitar. And so the first thing that I learned was, uh, and th- this had just been released, was um, prog noir, the the title song from that album that's and a stickman record by the way yes just in case you don't know uh, tony levin's baseline do 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 it it's a good one yeah and yeah so that was the first thing and then i, I felt like uh like finally a part of my soul was complete <laughs> does that make yeah is that, oh, is, no, is I that no, an exaggeration but it it, it felt like okay now now I can continue and, and things will be better. It'll, it's going to be okay now. And, and it, and it has been, it, I mean, the instrument has really, uh, it's calmed me down. A lot. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have a hard day and it, 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 it soothes my soul. Just, just playing it. Even For if sure. it's just an exercise, you know, yeah. it's well, great. I think that is one thing that I found about playing this method is, I mean, it is very meditative. Mm-hmm. And I mean, especially if you're working on, you know, some of the touch guitar circle exercises, like the family exercises put forth by Marcus and, and Alexander. Um, a lot of those, I mean, y'all fall on those just as a med- as meditation, yeah. you know, musical meditation as well. Cause it's, yeah, it just allows you to clear your head, focus on that. Um, yeah. So I can re- completely relate to that, like sitting down and then you just feel centered. Mm-hmm. I know I do. I mean, some days. I mean, there are days when, 
you know, and pick up the instrument, and then you're just like, ah, this is just all wrong, <laughs> and you got to put it back down. But most of the time, yeah, when you pick it up, that's when the day gets better. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, as, as the introduction to my next question, um, I'm going to give a little history about myself. Uh, and this is going to go into, you know, how we met, how we connected. Yeah. Um, uh, as I said, you know, at the top, I'm, my name is Morgan Phelps. And I currently, um, I work for Earthquaker Devices building effects pedals, which is a beautiful thing. And um, after my, you know, music store career, I, you know, worked various other jobs and then stumbled into this job with Earthquaker, which was beautiful. And uh, we met at you know, in person for the first time at Earthquaker Day, the very first Earthquaker Day, you know, music right. festival, because uh, our mutual friend, my friend who worked at the, the guitar department, because uh, you went into the, the guitar department in Kenmore looking for a case for your crappy. Yes. And my buddy got a hold of me and he was like, dude, there's some guy in here that has a fucking guitar like yours. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Who is this guy? You know, because there's not a lot of players around. You know, in Northeast Ohio, yeah. I and mean, there are there are more now than there were when I started. But um, I always perk up whenever I hear of anybody new. You know, who's getting into it. Um, so we, you know, I I can't remember the specifics. I think I got your number at Earthquaker Day. Yes. Was that it? Yeah. What What I it was. Um, I was just sitting down relaxing on a Saturday and I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw a live feed of like the riff contest and it's like Earthquaker Day going on right now. And there have been a few times in my life, like I mentioned, I'm a worship leader. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe uh, very strongly that you know, God speaks to you at certain times. And I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And there was something that it made me jump out of, out of my chair and I'm like, I told my wife, I got to go like right now. She's like, where? What's, what's wrong? I'm like, I got to go to Earthquaker Day right now. I didn't know why. It was, it was this compulsion. Like, you know, the spirit compelled me. <laughs> so I raced in my car and it was almost over. Uh, it was like, it was like three or four when I got there and I didn't know what I was doing. And I was walking around and I saw um, uh, Curran Murphy. Who I uh, who I knew he was fabulous guitar player. He was he's building his own uh, amp heads and stuff now, and he was selling them there. And so I connected with him, and I told him what I was getting into. He's like, "Oh, you need to talk to Morgan." I'm like, "I know," because as you said, I'd been in the guitar department, and they said, "Oh yeah, Morgan. He he's been teaching people. I don't know if he's taking students right now, but yeah, I'll I'll, I'll mention you to him." And so then you walked up to me, and. Then we met and exchanged numbers, and uh, and and then I understood. Okay, this is why I'm here, because <laughs> i i had I had my uh, crappy for several months at that point, and i I had like one book by Trey Gunn with his songs in it, and I was struggling with things like Kuma, trying to get that polyrhythm down. Oh yeah, well, and, it's not like you started with an easy one. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> You kind of set yourself up for that, bud. <laughs> yeah, but I I knew I needed help because when I learned to play guitar, um, I I was self taught and I realized I had a a garbage teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I needed to connect with someone who knew what they were doing, and then I found you, 
and you knew what you were doing, and I, then at least I pretend to know what I'm doing. Yeah, but no, you you shepherded me along in this in this journey, and I really appreciate that. So, well, no yeah. problem, and I am I'm eternally grateful as well because you know a I'm always looking forward to meeting quality people who you know happen to play this instrument. Um, but it also just happened that, you know, we're both the exact same kind of nerd. And so not only did, you know, I meet, you know, somebody who I could talk about the instrument with, but I mean, I met, I have a genuine friend in my life now, which is yeah. a fabulous thing. And I'm eternally grateful for you. So fist bump, my friend. Totally. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, um, this yes. yeah, this music, you know, who knew, <laughs> who knew, who knew? Yeah. Well, uh, I know this, but for the listener, I'm going to ask this question. What, besides music, what other sort of things interest you, Morgan? Well, I mean, um, a few things. <laughs> um, as a parent, it's apparent to the, because we're recording this in my home right now. Yes. Uh, floating in the air is the scent of food. I, I greatly, I take a lot of joy in cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a, you know, science fiction fan, major Star Wars fan, Star Wars toy collector. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a, a Star Wars guy. Uh, but you know, all things fiction and horror and that kind of thing I, I yeah. dig. Um, you know, I mean, that's the nerdy stuff basically. I mean, the food's not nerdy, but I kind of get nerdy with it a little bit, I guess. But. Oh, yes. My, mm-hmm. my wife is a baker and... <laughs> And it it's it's added a sort of sadness to my life because trying to improve my health, I've cut down on my <laughs> carbs and sugars. So, but but um, she she has explored the keto baking. So she made yeah. me some keto brownies, which are excellent. Nice. So, yeah. Um, but yes, I I too love Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I, I first saw the original Star Wars at the nineteen seventy eight re release when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, took my kids to see the prequel movies, and we've seen the sequel trilogy together. And mm-hmm. so now I look forward to with my friends and family going to see the very last mm-hmm. Skywalker Star Wars movie for uh, sure. In a few months, so yeah, that That'll was and that was one of the things actually also that um, I felt you know an instant kinship with you when we first met, and then I think we connected on Facebook, and then you know I was you know. I was stalking you on there and looking at all your photos and stuff and just seeing all the nerdy shit on your page. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm going to get along with this dude. Yeah. Like, I know I'm going to get along with this guy and sure shit. Yeah. We do. And now we're, you know, we're starting a podcast so we can bludgeon people with our chit chattery about touch guitars. Yes. Or sticks or whatever. And, um, you know, to talk about the podcast for a second, um, we did, you know, we put this together kind of. I'm not going to say in a in a hurry, but I mean it just kind of kind of materialized out of thin air. Yeah. Um, and then thankfully, due to you know all the the networking in the in the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? My brain does not work today. It's all it's all the day quill. Yeah. I'm done. Um, you know, in the tapping community, uh, you know, I've I've networked and, and so we've got some pretty awesome guests planned. So yeah. Um, and that's you know more on that as it develops. But uh, you know some some fairly influential, some, some players that have influenced all of us to pick up this instrument are going to, are, we're going to have. So, yes. And I'm lo- super looking forward to that. So, yeah, but you know, we'll, we'll get our, get the kinks worked out and everything and then yeah, get the first couple of debut episodes up and then we'll start scheduling the real guests. So, all right. Um, 
So for now, um, do you have anything, any music that you would like to play us? Uh, yes, okay. I do. I have um, uh, a few things I've been um, working on, and I can, I can give those to you now. Fantastic, um, yeah. Uh, I named them after black holes. Um, awesome. Because uh, after upon listening, this is just improvs. One was one I did on Sunday morning to provide a peripheral atmosphere, mm-hmm. and one I think it was uh, just testing out some new pedals I got because, as Morgan said, he works for Earthquaker Devices, and I've been quickly become addicted <laughs> to those. Like I have an entire pedal board which is about ninety percent Earthquaker Devices. So. Um, you know, Ladies and gentlemen, teach your kids music and music gear, and then they will never have money to buy drugs. <laughs> That's right. Just saying. That's right. Um, there is a song by the uh, thumb-picking guitar player Doyle Dykes called Guitar Poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, That's a thing. Lord God Almighty, help me. I'm Guitar Poor. And uh, yeah, I identify with that song. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, man, so yeah, you, what do you, you want to play now? Uh, let's uh, play one called Messier 87. Okay, awesome. Well, here we go.
So, okay, cool. Anything you want to say about that piece? Well, that one exemplifies the new uh, Swiss things Mm -hmm. where um, you can hear on one channel was sort of a a loop that was repeating. The other one was the solo going Mm -hmm. on top and, and using the... Uh, pedal board reconciler mm-hmm. um, was able to get different effects to go through different channels and to provide that. And that it gives me a lot of freedom, really, to to do that sort of expression. So yeah, awesome. Thank you. No problem. <laughs> so uh, other than uh, obviously you you stated and made it pretty clear that you know you're a worship leader and that is your primary uh, yeah. outlet for your you know your musical. Uh, creativity do you have ha, do you have now or have had in the past any other music projects any other bands that you've done oh right when i finished up college i was in this band called the humdingers <laughs> great name and uh it was i i i just dropped out of school because um i ran out of money and i ran out of desire it was like locked up three hours a day practicing my string bass because I was going to Baldwin Wallace Conservatory of Music as a string bass performance major. And I w- had been dating this girl for about a year and I was thinking about marrying her. And my professor would say things to me like, hey, the orchestra is going to Japan for a month. Is all right if I skip my next lesson with you so I could spend some time with my family? I'm like, is this the lifestyle I want to lead? So I dropped out of school and joined a rock band. <laughs> yes. And we lived in this hovel uh, across the street from the airport. So, And we all worked nights. And during the day, you'd hear the jets like fly over and wake you up all the time. Uh, cause, uh, and um, we'd wake up, and then we'd rehearse. And you know maybe on the weekend, we'd play somewhere, and we wouldn't make any money. And, but it was living the dream, you know? Mm-hmm. And I did that for about a year, and then I'm like, is is this really the lifestyle I want to live? <laughs> and and then I so I I moved out and quit the band, got married, had kids, and all that. So yeah, that was that was mid nineties. That was like ninety four, ninety five, and then uh, and that's when I discovered like this contemporary style of worship and through my. Um, uh, my creativity in that direction. So awesome. Well, it yeah. is, a, it is a noble one for sure. Yeah. And it's fulfilling. And, you know, I'm sure everyone in your church loves to have, uh, love to have your sounds every week. So. Yeah. It, it, it's taken people a little while to warm up to it because it is so different. But, uh, sometimes I'll start the service with, um, actually what we just heard, and that song was one I used to open up the service okay. just to provide like mm-hmm. a prayerful atmosphere. And uh, like Robert Fripp says, kind of tune the room. And I, I felt that worked very well. And especially because it wasn't in a major key. A lot of Christian music has to be like shiny, happy people all the time, you know, and that gets really boring really fast. This one sort of led um, an atmosphere of solemnity and like you're walking into a holy place and uh, I was really pleased with how it worked out because it wasn't like planned. It was just like how I was feeling. And that's one of the things that drew me towards the, the touch guitar was I, was I read an article with Marcus Reuter. And he was saying by playing a touch guitar, you, you have that sort of immediacy of emotion What because you just place your finger on the string and the sound is there. You don't have to pluck. You don't have to strum. It's 
you you just put your finger down and it's you 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 have an immediate emotional connection to the music and i think that was the key that said yes that's what i want to do i want that that immediate connection and i've found that so it's been very rewarding it's been very rewarding awesome yeah very nice so and uh, here's here's going to be my one of my favorite questions. I'm going to ask a lot of people this one. And this is inspired by Edgar Wright. What was the second album you ever bought? Second album I ever bought, like period? Ever? Yes, like in your lifetime. Okay, good God. Um, well, more than this is more than likely not going to be touch guitar related at all uh, because this was Christ. Man, I'm really going to have to think about that. I'll have to edit some of this out. Um, <laughs> Second album I ever bought with my own money. I mean, not counting like Christmas gifts and right, stuff when right. I was a kid. Um, it was, oh man. You know, I think I'm going to have to say I can tell you the first three albums okay. I ever bought. Okay. On CD, that is. Uh, I remember getting Metallica Master of Puppets. Weezer's The Blue Album. Ah. And Dream Theater Awake. Ooh. Were the first three CDs I ever bought for myself. Um, you know, previously I had been given other cassettes, um, you know, for gifts or whatnot. Um, yeah. You know, in the early days, you know, I was always listening to challenging music. Maybe not so much the Weezer. Um, but, you know, Metallica Master Puppets, there were some pretty some pretty amazing writing and really yeah. great playing on that record. And then of course the dream theater record, you know, just absolutely challenging. Yeah. Um, John Myung just oh blows my me God, away. An amazing bass player. I mean, yeah. everybody in that band was absolutely <laughs> top notch. Yeah. Uh, you know, I could really do without James Labrie's vocals at times, but you know, musically speaking, you know, at the time it was Kevin Moore on keyboards, a yeah. beautiful keyboard player. Their new guy, Jordan Rudus, is also fun. Oh, he's not even the new guy anymore. He's been yeah. with him for longer <laughs> than Kevin was in the band, but yeah, super good and, you know, very inspiring. Uh, but yeah, they that level of kind of progressive rock and then early Rush. And my mom's ex-husband, um, the guy she married after she married my, my dad, um, he turned me on to a lot of really interesting music. He was the one that gave me my first Rush cassette. Ah. He gave me moving pictures on cassette. And that was right after I started playing bass. I think I got my first bass guitar in like 1988. Okay. Um, so was it 88? It was 87 or 88. Yeah. Either way, it was young, like middle school level, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I was listening to moving pictures and, you know, Keddie Lee's playing was just very... You know, say what you want about the guy's voice. He's a massive player. Yeah. And he's an amazing writer. And, you know, I, I love the guy. He's a beautiful human being, too. If you listen, yes. listen to him in interviews and stuff, he's a really, really great guy. Um, so, yeah, The Rush uh, was an early influence. Um, Dream Theater kind of made me re imagine what rock, you know, rock music could be, even though they're more, you know, I don't know if you really you call them a rock band. They're definitely a prog band, but yeah. metal, rock, whatever. Um, and then of course, you know, the Metallica cause it was the eighties. <laughs> See, I was the other way in the eighties. I, I, in the early eighties, I listened to top 40 a lot. 
Casey Kasem because that was the police, that was the talking heads, that was Duran Duran. I love the new wave. And the second album I ever bought was uh, Songs from the Big Chair by oh, Tears for Fears. Such a epic record. Oh, my uh, God. I, I still love it to this day. Yeah, I know. I I played that tape out. I still have it. It's it's gorgeous. And But that's the kind of... Um, you know, big sound and melodious kind of things uh, that I always sought after in music. And so it, it wasn't long after that that I got into Rush. And um, I remember going to, I think it was Kmart, and I, I bought two Rush tapes with my allowance money. I'd saved up my allowance for a while. And I got 2112, and uh, it was the new album at the time. It was Presto. Oh, yeah, Presto. So that was that was like late eighties, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. show don't tell such a great tune on yeah. that record. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, um, and just the whole twenty one twelve. Like, I, I I can't remember if I was into yeah. I think I had been into yes, and that's what led me to rush. And so I I I wasn't uh, shocked or. Um, or challenged by a 20 minute song. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh but that was pretty intense. Uh that 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 journey you go on in 2112. Mm-hmm. So that just blew me away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it was it, you know getting into Rush that I first heard about King Crimson because Neil Peart had said he really liked King Crimson. I'd heard all the stuff and oh yeah, wasn't the drummer from Yes didn't he go into King Crimson? So I it was like these rumors and stuff and then I I got into that, and then let me do this, you know, stick and tapping, and so there you go. And that's my so, musical journey. There you go. I mean, we could probably talk. Both of us could talk for hours about our respective musical journeys. Yeah. Um. But back to the back to the point of you know the touch instruments. Yeah. Um. What would you say is the biggest challenge you face integrating the the stick or the in your case a crappy guitar or any touch instrument? Uh, what challenges do you find in, in inquiring that into your music? Do you find it to be, a, do you have to try to put it in there or does it just naturally fit in what you do? I, I'm finding it to be a natural fit. But the challenge for me is not so much the style and how, but how to accommodate maybe a simpler form um, because a lot of the music I play follows like the, your standard rock format, you know, one, four, five, one chord progressions. Um, and it, it, this instrument lends itself to more challenging things. Like, you know, I, it took me a week to crack like the first bar of uh, Trey Gunn's Kuma, you know, the, the seven against four. But once I got it, I got it. Yeah. And then going back to like maybe, okay, how do you play just like a simple major chord in a fifth tuning? That's been the challenge. So, uh, but I think it, it moves me forward because I'm, I'm, I have to think more musically, more harmonically. I have, instead of just like fumbling around with the notes, I have to be very deliberate and intentional. And where playing like an acoustic guitar, just strumming CGD is really easy. 
to do that thing on the, the touch guitar, or my crappy guitar, it takes a lot more intention and thought. And, um, and, and that's been a welcome challenge. It's not like daunting. It's like, okay, let's see where this goes. So, right so Morgan, um, we haven't really touched on um, your more current career um, in musically. You know, we talked about your day job. Um, so uh, you are getting back together with your band Co-Conspirator. Yes. You've had a couple live shows, and I saw one you played Porch Rocker recently mm-hmm. this summer, which I've bootlegged and I listen to a lot. It's great. Nice, nice. Thank you. Um, what? Uh, well, give us a two-part question. Give us a little history of that band. Little short okay. history, and then what's next? Short history of a band that's been playing for over almost sixteen years. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, we uh, co-conspirator is a. I don't even really know how you would really classify it, except for prog metal fusion. I mean, there's elements of you know we definitely all have jazz influence, um, and there's obvious metal you know in there. Um, we started out, um, the guitar player, Tom McCain, dear friend of mine, uh, and I, we met when um, we were jamming with this other guitar player and um, and a drummer. Um, we were we were calling ourselves Mandala at the time, and it was, uh, it was an experiment. We never did any gigs or anything. It was mainly just like playing at the guitar player's house. Um, and the drummer was a really amazing drummer named Matt Boehner, who went on to be in a, in a metal band in our area of Akron, Ohio, uh, fully consumed. And they're absolutely phenomenal death metal band. Uh, one of my favorites. So if you, anybody listening, if you like death metal, please look up fully consumed Akron, Ohio, and you will find some really amazing, amazing drumming, amazing bass playing, awesome songs. Um, Love those guys. Um, so Matt was the drummer, and then uh, Tom worked in uh, a local used music store uh, called the Record Exchange. Uh, ah, you know, yes. people could buy and sell and trade all their used music and video games and then that kind of thing. And he met <clears throat> Aaron, uh, Aaron Shea, who all, who plays in uh, Akron, or a Kent area band, or the Ravenna Arsenal, also a really great band. Check them out. Um, he met Tom and they were chit chatting and Tom's band that he was in had dissolved. So they, uh, you know, Tom was looking for something to do and Aaron was like, well, Hey, come jam with us. So I met Tom through them and then that situation kind of dissolved and Tom and I had, you know, started talking and, you know, we had a lot of similar influences, um, you know, we were both big, big tech metal fans. So of course, we like Dream Theater and, you know, Iron Maiden. And then we also like stuff like Atheist and Cynic and Death. And, you know, the more boundary pushing, more aggressive, very heavy technical metal. And uh, so we instantly hit it off. And, you know, he was like, holy shit. You know, he saw the stick and he's like, that's insane. You know, he's like, I got to do something <laughs> with that. And then uh, I had separately also been jamming with uh, my old friend Ken Kimmel. Uh, through some other friends and you know we we jammed once and then we had didn't get together for a while and then Ken called me out of the blue 
and he was like, hey, you want to go get some dinner or something? You know, just hang out. So we went and got some food and we were talking about music and everything. And he was like, you know, he's like, we, re- you know, we should really do something. He's like, because, you know, when we jammed that one time, you brought the stick. And because we were playing just, I, we weren't playing anything proggy at all. We were just playing with this kind of hardcore-ish, you know, guitar player guy that we were jamming with at the time. And, uh, you know. He was like, I'm really interested in what you've got going on because you've you definitely got, you know, the stick and it's it's different. He's like, and I'm I'm, I'm digging the different ideas. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I've just wrapped it on this project, you know, that's done, and I you know met this guitar player. So maybe the three of us should get together and start doing some stuff. And um, you know, we did, and that was the basically the birth of Co-Conspirator. We were a three piece wow. three piece instrumental band. Um, we, you know, all heavily, I was heavily, heavily, heavily influenced by King Crimson and, and Primus and and that kind of stuff back in those days. We covered both King Crimson and Primus songs. We covered Jerry Was a Race Car Driver. We covered King Crimson Indiscipline, of which I played the stick part and sang or spoke. Yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> um, so that piece made an impression. It, it made an impression so much that I have, I repeat myself and under stress tattooed on my arm in a circle. So it keeps going around and around. Um, so yeah, we did that and we, you know, started playing a handful of, you know, gigs at Annabelle's Lounge in Akron and the Fantasy Nightclub in Cleveland and, you know, a few other places. So we were like, okay, cool, you know, and we we started writing music. Um none of us were really too concerned about what anybody else thought. You know, we That's the best thing to do. Yeah, yeah, we weren't like, okay, let's write these songs and, you know, try to, you know, appeal to this, you know. Yeah, we could have, if we would have, you know, done the, the the smart thing, at least smart, you know, successfully, professionally speaking, we could have been playing some other kind of music that was more, uh, you know, us more widely acceptable and maybe made some money or got signed or whatever. But we were like, nah, we're, we're going to, we're doing this for us. We don't really give a shit about what anybody else thinks about it. We're doing exactly what we want to do. And I'm, I'm happy to say that it's like the first, it was the first time in my life where I was playing music that was, that was truly mine. Yeah. Or in our, in this sense, ours, like, yeah, this this music didn't. I mean, granted, you know, you could hear influences in in all of the stuff that we did. You know, you'll, you'll probably hear some King Crimson influences. You'll hear some jazzy influences. You'll hear you know the things. But overall, you know, it was it was what we did. You know, we didn't we didn't sit down going, okay, well, we're going to write a tune that sounds like you know Al Demiola, or we're going to sit down and we're going to try to write you know something like Frank Zappa or Metallica or we 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 didn't want you know we're like. Leave everything at the door and just see what happens in in you know in the rehearsal studio, and we you know came up with some you know what I think is is, I mean I like it of course because you know I had a big hand in writing it, but um, it, it was incredibly rewarding because it was the first time that I had ever, and and it was it was I it was really how I learned how to play stick, yeah, because sure I was you know playing around with you know flashing back to what i was saying about you know the early days of playing the stick you know in the late 90s there really wasn't a lot of you know early 2000s really was when i really started to kind of get into it heavily and then the band started in 2002 2003 so i had just you know played king crimson's you know riffs and you know i hadn't really i don't think i really became a player a true player of the instrument until i started to write on it and that's when I really yeah. started to connect with it. 
And, you know, I'm not a formally taught player at all. I just kind of make, you know, made it up as I went along and ham-fisted my way through it and found what sounded good or found what I like the sound of. Um, so, you know, that's, that's how Co-Conspirator happened and that's how I really learned how to, I cut my teeth on writing those songs and that's how I developed all my technique and everything. Yeah. Granted, you know, at that point, a lot of my technique was not very good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it came into its own and um, yeah. the band eventually evolved into a four-piece with the front man. Um, we put out a few, you know, in- independently released records, uh, which are all available all on Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff now. So you can go look it up, Co-Conspirator. And we're going to all play a song for you right now. Yes. Uh, I would like to, well, uh, well, I'll ask you. You're, you're familiar with our catalog. What song would you like to hear me play here? Um, I would like to hear... Um, how about 007? Oh, sweet. Uh, Excellent. Uh, first song off your first album, right? You know, I think yes, and I'm 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 very thankful that you chose that one because that was a very like that was one of the first original riffs that I wrote. Yeah. It's I, I I love the fact that you picked that one because that is one of the first riffs that I ever we ever jammed on as co-conspirator. It's a really old school one. Um so yeah, that was born in like 2003. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Check it out.
like that one. And uh, I I do have all the the entire discography of co-conspirator um you know plus you know the bootleg i got from yeah Trucker. <laughs> my my homemade bootleg um oh no that means i'm a bootlegger uh arrest it's me. okay i don't judge you uh, <laughs> well you you said it was okay so it was authorized yeah authorized bootleg mm-hmm. um but, but yeah that the last show you played a lot of stuff off mm-hmm. uh, your last album and that came out what six seven years ago uh yeah uh, illumination through apathy was our last release and that came out in 2012 Okay, so um, to my second part, what's next for a co-conspirator? Well, right now, I mean, we took a few years off. Um, we we took a few years off because of life. Yeah, you know, um, just as an important part of my journey. I mean, I've I've dealt with you know depression my whole life, and you know, fairly I was functional, but you know, it was it was fairly not good, you know. And, uh, you know, some life, life came to a head and I had some pretty intense stuff and I just had to put it down for a while. Uh, and then Tom also was, you know, had his, some stuff he was going through as well as his own, his business and everything. Um, and then, so we kind of, the band took a rest. Uh, the rest of the guys, actually Tom and Julian, the current drummer and, uh, Eric or Bones, the singer went on to do another project with some other guys. Uh, while we were on hiatus. Um, but, you know, I, you know, I had to take that time, you know, to get where I needed to get. Yeah. Um, and then they went on and they did their own things. And, you know, it all, it all came back together. Tom and I, um, I had been doing some solo shows, some unaccompanied, like, soundscapey improvised sets. Um, so, and then Tom is like, you know, when we should get together, you know, get together and play. He was like, I just miss playing him. Like, so we, he came and he sat in on a couple of improv gigs with me, which was really fun. Um, and then last year we were just like, you know, we, we, we got to, we just, we can't let this thing go. We can't let it die like this. And we found out about this show uh, opening for uh, guitarist Tony McAlpine yes. earlier this year uh, in Kent, Ohio. And we were like, you know, we had all been talking and, you know, like we need to do this again. And, and then that show popped up and their other project that they were playing in got that gig. They were going to open the, the, the show. And then, you know, as bands tend to do, you know, shit hits the fan and the band dissolves yeah. with the show booked. And um, so the guy who booked was like, well, why don't you just have co-conspirator play that show? And we we're like, yeah, why the fuck not have co-conspirator play that right. show? So we got together and hammered it out for a couple months and got, you know, a small set back together. Um, and, and it and, was, it felt really great. Right, and and the sad thing about that show is I arrived to the venue just in time to miss you guys. Yeah. I missed your whole set. <laughs> yeah, I was that, so mad. Ugh. That was, yeah, that was unfortunate. I was so so happy you came, though, but yeah, I wish, I wish you could have seen us. <laughs> Uh, and then we played one more show at, at Porch Rocker, like you like, that you came and, and bootlegged, as you said. Mm-hmm. Um, so our plan was you know, just to, to get it back going again and start gigging. Um, and then it kind of has changed, or at least my focus has changed. I'm I want to, to play gigs with these guys, and I want us to get out there, and I want to start you know traveling around because. We never did. We did some, you know, not like touring, but some out of town shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we played Ann Arbor, Michigan. We played Jamestown, New York. We played, uh, you know, 
just within a few hours drive of Northeast Ohio. And I'd like to continue to do more of that. But a lot of the songs that we have currently in our set have been around. Yeah. I mean, handful, like one song, Nothing Remains, uh, has been in our set since the early days. It's one of the first songs we wrote. But we retooled it when we got a different drummer and then we got the singer. And it really bloomed into, you know, something different. Um, so since we're talking about it, I'm going to go and play that tune right now. Yes. So this is Nothing Remains off of Illumination 3.
Okay, so that I think, in, in for for my part, kind of sums up this band because it has the heavy parts, it has the techy parts, it has the mathy parts, and then it has the you know kind of ambient emotional parts at the end. You know where Bones is really laying into the vocals and he really sounds great. Yeah, and you know it it really you know my playing that's kind of where my playing really like hit like hit its stride because or you know in those early days because you know really getting both hands doing things you know a you know a kind of a you know a, a, a mobile bass line and then a you know a, a melody side kind of what's the word i'm looking for a little ostinato just to kind of set yeah. up set up the meter and then the left hand kind of dancing around that so you know i i have a i love that song a lot but that song's been around for a long time. Like mm-hmm. it's that was one of the first songs we wrote as a band. So I'm like, I need we need if we're gonna do this and we're gonna be you know get ourselves out there, we need to write some new material. Yeah. Um, so and you guys were working on some stuff because I, I saw you guys played um, downtown. You mm-hmm. uh, you and your guitar player were just kind of messing around with some of the new material mm-hmm. and stuff. And one. I remember you had one thing you called it Jules Bane because it was uh, yep. <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. flummoxing your drummer <laughs> as yep. to how, how he could fit in there. Yep. So uh, I would be curious to see that stuff uh, fully yeah. formed. So well, and we have it. we have quite a bit. Like Tom and I have been working, getting together diligently, you know, as as often as we can, and you know, working on new material, um, even outside of that stuff. Like we had, like when the band, you know stopped we had a fair amount of material like we had four or almost five songs worth of stuff that we had you know almost there you know yeah um and after going back and re-listening to that stuff like with fresh ears and a, a different perspective and a different attitude um i found you know that i'm like okay that stuff i think that stuff needs retooling or at least needs you know kind of an updating with you know how we all are right now yeah um so we kind of i i mean i personally kind of pump the brakes on those because i for some reason the muse has hit and i've had you know quite a few new things or other things that you know have just been coming around and you know in in my experience uh i can't hit pump when when the creativity is coming on you know, new ideas i can't put them on hold or they never happen I understand that. So even though we do have other stuff yeah. that's kind of waiting in the wings for us to finish working on, um, the new stuff is happening. And Tom has also been bringing me some some new stuff, which is really great. Um, and his playing on the eight string guitar. Uh, when we first started, he was playing a seven string, and uh, you know, right around the right before the illumination through apathy recording sessions, he got his first eight string guitar. And uh, he, Tom has definitely found you know his niche. Like kind of like when I found the stick, he's on the eight string now, and it's 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 right yeah. for him. Yeah, and he's doing more than just you know. Most of the time, people hear eight string the the words eight string guitar, and they think of you know Meshuggah or the whole genty movement of metal. <laughs> and yeah. you know, you're basically playing on the bottom four strings if you're lucky. And Tom utilizes you know the whole fretboard, and that's what's wonderful about him. And he sounds like Tom. He doesn't sound like, you know, he's cloning anybody. He does his thing, which is fantastic. He was really blowing me away when I, a couple times I've seen him play. He's phenomenal, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's that's really that. Um, I mean, going forward, um, our drummer, Julian, um, is 
a drummer uh, with the Cleveland Cavs and the Cleveland Browns. Really? He okay. plays in the 216 Sticks, which is formerly the Q Sticks for the Cavs. Oh, you yeah. You know, the, okay. the halftime, you know, buckets and, and ladders and yes. that kind of thing. And they're really, they put on a fantastic show. There's some really great players in there, as well as my friend Nick Citrone, another Akron drummer who I love dearly, dear friend, uh, got involved in the, the uh, when they were the Q Sticks. Um, with you know with Julian early in the days and he's he's doing really well with that and then he's also doing drum, uh, drum core stuff for the Browns so Julian's schedule is quite busy uh, as well as you know having a family you know he has a stepdaughter and everything uh, and he's living in Brunswick so it's it's a little difficult for us all to get in the same room yeah. at this stage of the game because like we said you know I mean I'm working for Earthquake Devices full time I have two kids of my own um, and you know Tom has a business. Uh, so yeah, every, it's just, it's life, you know, yeah. it's adult life making it, you know, a little difficult, but you know, we get in what we can when we can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I would love to, I'd like to get four or five songs together and record an EP and put it out. Right. And I, I'd like to point out that, um, I, I sense from you, uh, a satisfaction with, uh, your music and where you're going with it. And a lot of people have this dissatisfaction if they're not like highly su- successful. Like they have this um, bar set, like I have to be like the richest, greatest, <laughs> uh, most plays on Spotify kind mm-hmm. of uh, person or banner. And that's how they measure success. It seems like you measure it through um, have I found my creative voice and have I expressed myself completely and I I really like that where it's like you're the music itself is is the reward yeah you're you're very correct I mean if I wanted to be if my main focus was to be six you know monetarily successful as a as an artist you know playing large arenas making money blah that whole thing I mean, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I would have stayed playing a four-string bass or stayed playing a guitar and playing something that is, you know, pop accessible or marketable or, you know, country band, for God's sake. I mean, yeah. you know, whatever. I wouldn't be playing, you know, the fringe shit that I do um, if I was concerned about, you know, monetary success. So, I mean, granted, you know, money would be nice, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I have to wake up with myself. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I'm, I guess I'm an, I am an, I'm a, I'm an idealist in that sense, and it's not always the best because I've, you know, I have it doesn't always do me doesn't always uh, make life easy. But I mean, thankfully, I have you know a really amazing career with an amazing effects pedal company that yeah. supports the art of all of its people. Because I mean, I I can't give enough shout out to to Jamie and Juliet with Quaker devices because they really, they, 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 they care for every one of us and they know that we all have projects and anytime we do anything they're like, you got something going on? Let us know. We'll bump it on our social media. And you know, they, they're, they're fantastic like that. Uh, so it's, I, I feel I'm, I'm absolutely privileged to work, to have a job, to have a day job that like yeah. has the back of my creative endeavors. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm. I I just can't even begin to. I ca- I cannot put into words how amazing that is. Yeah. Um. 
And in future episodes, we're going to be talking with some of your coworkers and for sure. Yeah, my yeah. my plan is to have my boy Corey Heron, guitar player aficionado, uh, who actually just got a Strandberg boat in seven string. Oh my god, it is so beautiful. <laughs> uh, but he's good. Yeah, we're going to have him on because he does a lot of tapping and he has a very unique uh, guitar setup where his he currently has this custom telly. It's a seven string telly that he has wired almost like a stick. The three lowest strings have the individual pickup and output and the five upper strings. Or wait a minute. You know, th- yeah, the three lower strings and the upper four strings have separate outputs. Right on. So he basically has stick, you know, almost like a stick or a touch guitar wiring on his guitar. And he uses this insane combination of pedal boards and amps and with his band Green Tree Novelty Tea, which, yeah, when we have him on, we'll play them. And yeah. I'm super excited to have him and, you know, anybody else from Earthquaker that I can round up. Uh, that likes to do some tapping. So yeah, the tappers of EQD episode will be forthcoming. Exciting. So, yeah, and we'll hear some we'll hear some more of our stuff too. So All right. Very cool. Well, we are pushing hour and ten. So you want to wrap this? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So maybe as we play out the episode I can uh play you this uh some uh, the another song I've demoed. Yeah, uh, please again. Great. Uh, I want to hear it. It is called Sagittarius A Another black hole song. Nice. Okay, very good. Well, let's let it roll. Right. Well, and first I want to say thank you for inviting me to do this podcast with you, and I look forward to our future endeavors. And, Indeed, man. Uh, well, thanks for being in on it. All right. I wouldn't have. I'm, I'm happy to have you here. All right. Well, until next time, folks, see you later. Thanks. Thanks.